my name is Violet and I'm obsessed with all things personal development. As a life, health, wellness, and meditation coach, I love empowering you through difficult seasons of life so you can venture and live a life you truly love. Join me as I cover topics on health and wellness, money, business, work, great relationships, not so great relationships, love, loss, family, achieving those beautiful goals, creating balance in life, growth, and so much more. Consider this your one stop on a shop for a little happy hour blended with your personal school of life. Grab a drink, get cozy, and get ready to be challenged and inspired while you learn. This is the Venture Love Podcast. I'm so excited to have this very special guest on the Venture Love podcast. For our listeners, you'll definitely want to check Jamie Francis out. Jamie is a family recovery strategist based out of Canada, and she's a wife and mama to three children and the owner of three businesses. And as a self-proclaimed wife to an alcoholic, Jamie helps the wives of other addicts reclaim their life and live their full potential. Her mission is to change the conversation around family addiction by offering support to loved ones of addicts through her coaching, community building, and connection events. And I'm so excited and happy to have you. So welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So first off, I want to congratulate you on the release of your book, which is super exciting. Her book is called Looking for Proof. Um, I'm currently and I've been working on my first book and it's definitely an adventure to uh, making progress on it. So it's no easy feat. Um, And I also wanted to just really commend you and say that it takes a ton of courage to step out and um, talk and coach on a topic that I feel many would be very shy and not public about. Right. So Yes. Um, yeah. yeah sure. Writing a book is no joke. It is the hardest thing I have done to date. Like I would do childbirth yeah. 10 times over versus yeah. writing a book. Um, it's crazy how much self-doubt and things come up when you're writing and just so much procrastin- procrastination for me. Like I was just, oh, by the end of it, I was like, I never want to look at that book again, but I'm so happy it's birthed into the world because that was the whole purpose of it was to make sure that it got into the hands of the people that are struggling the most, the people that feel really alone in their, um, you know, chaotic life or whatever that looks like for them. And even for the person who doesn't love an addict, but is just kind of curious what it's like to love an addict. I think it's a really good uh, story so that you can be empathetic. If you do have somebody in your life that loves an addict, you can, you can understand kind of what, what that looks like, whether you're in it or, you know, somebody in it, or you're just curious for your own self, what, what that's like. Absolutely. I think there, I mean, I can say for myself, I know several people, um, whether or not it's family or friends of family or, you know, people that have come across colleagues. So I feel that your book will absolutely help so many people. Um, absolutely. So it's super exciting. Um, yeah. And I wanted to start off, um, I have many questions for you, but one of the questions I wanted to start off was just trying to understand, you know, when I was thinking of, uh, reaching out to you to interview you, I thought like, well, how did you first, learn about this? How did you uh, come across this? Was it something um, that you learned when you were your date, when you were dating your, your now husband? Um, were there any signs? I know, you know, having, 
have dated, you know, different people <laughs> in my past, sometimes we kind of brush things off our shoulder and say like, oh, that's not a big deal. And maybe later on it, it may be, were there any signs that came up for you? Um, or was it something that you learned la later on in your marriage? And, you know, when did you actually realize that it was a problem? So my husband and I have been together for a really long time. We met in our early twenties. So, you know, there was a lot of alcohol consumption in our early twenties. And we thought, I thought, you know, this is just normal. We're just young and having fun and all of that fun stuff. And then we got married and we were trying for a family. And I noticed that the, you know, the, he would stay later after work and he would go for drinks after work or he would have drinks at lunchtime. And, and my husband was a very, very kind, happy, go lucky drinker. He was never aggressive. He was never, um, you know, everyone has an idea of what they think an alcoholic looks like. Mm -hmm. They think that, you know, they drink out of a paper bag under a bridge. They wake up, they shoot vodka. Um, they're mean, they're abusive. They're all of these things. He didn't, he didn't meet any of that criteria. So did I think he drank a lot? Yep. Did I think he was going to grow out of it for sure? And then I, um, found out I was pregnant with our first and he, decided that he just couldn't do this anymore, that he was spending too much time, you know, drinking. And it, he he felt like it was just kind of a bit out of control. Um, and so he went off to rehab while I was pregnant and he came home and he was, you know, changed. And I, we didn't, we didn't see much of a difference other than like, yeah, he worked on a few things and some trauma from his childhood and everything was good after that. And then it really hit me when I started thinking, I wonder if he started drinking again, because that doesn't seem right. And I had all of these little nudges, all of these things that were screaming at me from that gut feeling to like, oh, that story doesn't really add up. And, you know, just little things like that were deep down in my heart. I knew something was off, but I just kept denying it. And the denial was so strong because I had this idea that alcoholism alcoholism looked like someone who shot vodka when they woke up in the morning they didn't have a job they didn't have people that loved them they didn't have all of the things that he had they didn't live in a nice house they didn't have a good career they didn't they didn't do what he did and um oftentimes he worked in a industry that is so pro alcohol like it, it's very normal to go for lunch and have drinks and wine and beer and all of the things so it was this weird juxtaposition of like, well, this is just really normal. And, but this seems like it might be a problem. So for a long time, he hid that he had started drinking again from me. And I will be honest that the first time he went to rehab, I wasn't a hundred percent convinced that he was an alcoholic. I thought he just drank too much. Mm -hmm. I just thought that he needed to handle some of his stuff and then everything would be fine. And so when he, he relapsed, I was like, well, maybe he just, you know, maybe he just is okay to have a couple of drinks and me not knowing that much about alcoholism, which is wild because my dad is an alcoholic and had been in recovery for a very long time. So I don't know why I had my blinders on so much, but I did. Um, and I, honestly, I think a lot of people that are in a relationship with a functioning addict have their blinders on because they've convinced themselves that they are still functioning. They still hold down a job. They still do all the things that a normal person does. Um, and then I had this calling, this, this inner knowing, this gut feeling that things were off. And every time I would ask him about it, he would deny it. And he would say like, well, no, of course I would tell you if I was drinking again. But then I started 
the chaos just kind of consumed me. And I, I spent my life for a long time just looking for signs. And that's why my book is called Looking for Proof, because I was I was truly just looking for proof to validate what I already knew to be true. I was searching the house. I was checking the garbages. I was checking the credit card receipts. I was doing a forensic audit on every aspect of our life every single day. And as much as he was hiding and manipulating, doing all of these crazy things, so was I, because I knew what I already knew, but didn't have the proof. And then it, to make sure that my life stayed the same and stayed consistent, I kept that secret. I didn't tell a single soul that I suspected this because I didn't want my friends and my family to be like, oh, he is, that's terrible. You know, you should leave them. You, I didn't want unsolicited advice. I wanted everything to stay status quo. I wanted my life to be exactly the same. And I thought, well, if I just stay one step ahead of his alcoholism, then maybe it'll just kind of disappear. And that's, that's just not the reality of it. But I realized that I had become addicted to his addiction. I had become addicted to him. I had become addicted to staying on top of it and one step ahead of it and looking for the proof of it. And all of these things that were just such a negative cycle for me. None of it was good for my soul. I kind of lost who I was, what I liked to do, who I was and what I, you know, my thoughts, my feelings, my opinions, my hopes, my dreams, all of that was out the window. Cause it was like, I woke up every single morning and went through the cycle of looking for proof until one day I found it. And then it was, you know, uh, it was a really hard pill to swallow. Cause as much as I wanted to find that proof, I was devastated when I found it. And I truly wished that I could turn back that turn back time. I, I wanted so badly to unknow what I now knew and could no longer deny. And when that happened, um, he went back to rehab and that kind of started my cycle of really, really angry, ang- like so much anger that it was consuming. I remember standing he was gone to rehab he had just left I had three kids under three and um the toilet powder room started overflowing uh someone from the upper floor had showered and um the water had drained and the closest place for it to come up was the toilet so it was warm shower water and it was like ruining the hardwood and I was ankle deep with a brand new baby on my hip and he was gone to rehab and I was like I am literally here to catch all of life's shit while he is out on a vacation, like that's what it felt like to me. And I, I went through, um, so, so much anger and resentment and, um, just like that feeling of, you know what, it must be nice. It must be nice to you for you. And, and I know that that comes from such a negative place and such a place of, uh, resentment, but that's how I felt in those moments. And then I realized that he wasn't going to come and save me. And I had absolutely no control of whether he continued to drink, whether he stays sober, what happened with him inside the walls of that treatment center, or once he got out, I couldn't control it. And so I needed to find some happiness and serenity, whether he continued to drink or not. And that's what I did. And that was the hardest journey of my entire life was to untangle the codependency and the like addiction to him and that true trust with myself that no matter what happens, I will find contentment and happiness wherever I go. So as soon as I came out of the muck, as soon as I was out of it, I was like, no matter what happens, I am going to throw down a ladder to everybody else that has been in these shoes. I'm going to 
Be there for every person that has sat in their loneliness and their sadness and their secrecy because they didn't want to tell people and ruin relationships and make people think differently of their addict. And I am going to do my part to break the stigma of addiction. And so that was kind of the birthplace of my one of my businesses. I actually own six businesses. Um, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So this is my latest and my newest business. And it's honestly the most vulnerable and personal of all my businesses, but it is come, it comes from a place of just truly wanting nobody to feel the way that I felt in those moments. Oh my goodness. I just want to thank you so much for being so authentic and so you and so honest and, um, as you were speaking, it just brought me back to some of the relationships and I know it's not the same, right? Everyone's journey is different, but there's so many similarities of personally for myself, looking back and remember dating very similar type of individuals and, um, being cheated on and feeling like the shame and like wanting everyone to think like, Oh no, he's great. Oh no, he's perfect. Oh no. Like I never want anyone to chime in on my relationship because it's mine and it's sacred. And I can kind of see how I saw myself through your experiences, a little bit of like hiding maybe the receipts or high or like sneaking around and trying to figure things out. And, um, it's such a hard place, at least from my memory and experiences, it's such a hard and emotionally damaging place to live because you're always on edge. You're always uncomfortable. You're always like wishing it was better and maybe like pretending or like hoping it's a certain way, but it's not. And like you said, that moment of realizing like, crap like this is the reality of the situation I've had several of those moments of uh why why did I see that why why was I snooping why did I learn this um but I do think that we come across those truths to open us up to this next level of who we're meant to be and it's the hardest time and my gosh I just commend you because I have one child and it's a lot of work and I cannot imagine three in the midst of all of this other stuff you are managing and handling in your businesses and your husband. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's yeah, wild. truly. I was in survival mode. Like I, I, it's a crazy thing that your brain does, but I have very few memories from that period of my life. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Gosh. So now um, moving forward a little bit uh, as your children are a little bit older now, I just, um, you know, as a mom myself, my, my little one is almost 18 months old. And I think like, okay, you know, there will be hard conversations to be had at some point. It's just the reality of life. And how do you navigate those? So for you um, in, in your life today, you know, I, and I know everything is dependent on how old they are and what they're able to maturely absorb or, you know, but how do you navigate these kind of like tricky conversations with your children? Do you keep them in the dark? Do you, are you fully honest and open? Like, how do you, how do you do it? Uh, well, we, it's never naturally come up until recently. Um, we don't have alcohol in our house and I mean, people are welcome to bring it if they want to come for dinner and bring a bottle of wine or something, but we, we don't have it. We don't drink it. Um, in our house and, you know, our big celebrations aren't surrounded around alcohol. So it's just never really been a topic as far as my kids know, like my oldest is 10 now, she just turned 10. So they're 10, eight and six. And so it's just, it's never, they, their curiosity has never kind of come up with their own conclusions because they just haven't been exposed to it at all. But 
I, when I did write the book, I let my kids come to my book launch party and um, my oldest, who's 10, read the title of the book because there was, you know, print and materials and all of the things. Yeah. And she's like, it's called Looking for Proof, Memoir of an Addict's Wife. And she's like, Mom, is that an addict? Oh. Like, okay, so we're having a conversation right now, right before the book launch party. So I just explained that um, dad doesn't drink alcohol because it doesn't agree with dad. His brain isn't the same as ours. And sometimes we've talked a ton in our household about mental health and physical health and what the differences are and how physical health, sometimes you can see it. And sometimes you can't in mental health, you can almost always not see it. So I said, this is one of those things where, you know, you can't see it, but it's something that they're struggling with up in their mind. And dad just doesn't do very well on alcohol. And it hasn't brought a lot of good to his life. So he doesn't use it. And then she said, well, what about you? And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not an addict, but alcohol hasn't brought a lot of good to my life either. So I very sparingly use it. And, um, I don't know that my kids have ever seen me ever have a drink even, um, cause I maybe have like one a decade, but you know, so it's just never really been brought up. And as they start to explore what alcohol and drugs are as they get older, I know the conversations are going to get tougher and they're going to have to be more um, real than kind of the surface level that I've given them so far. But I think that that's I'll navigate that when I get there. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't worry about that today because that's not my reality today. And yeah. in the future, I will, um, you know, maybe do a little research on what the best way to navigate that is by reading books and listening to lectures by Gabor Mate and, you know, the experts in the field. Yeah, that's great. I think it's great that um, you are honest with them about what's going on in an age appropriate kind of way that makes sense to them, but doesn't maybe divulge more than they need to know, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's great. So for those listening that are interested and um, maybe are finding themselves in a similar situation that you were, you know, at those hard moments in your life, and I'm sure there have been a handful of them, what would you say? What would be like three tips or three starting points of starting the healing journey or just starting to get help? Like, what would you share with someone listening? So my, there's three things. The first one would be acknowledging your circumstances, acknowledging, taking the blinders off and saying like, we're here now. I know it's not pretty and I don't want to be here, but the reality is, is that we're here now. So that was the first thing for me is that I had to stop looking for proof. I already knew the proof. I knew it long before I actually had found the proof. And I had to acknowledge that whether I liked it or not, it was happening. He was drinking. He had relapsed. Um, number two is that I had to acknowledge that I was really powerful. Me, myself, I was powerful. And I could either hand my power over to something that's out of my control, or I could keep it and do good with it. And I often say that I handed my power over on a silver platter to my husband. And he was like, I don't no, thank you. I don't want this. I have enough shit going on. I don't want, Mm -hmm. I don't want your, your stuff on top of it, but that's what I did. I, I waited for the highs and lows based on his highs and lows. If he was having a good day, I was having a good day. If he was having a bad day, I was having a bad day. And so for me, I had to just take that back. I had to take back my power and be like, you are responsible for you. You are responsible for your own happiness. My third tip would be that it's so much harder to do things alone. So finding community or mentorship 
or whatever that looks like. And for me, I was not ready to tell my family that I had these suspicions. I was not ready to tell my friends um, about my grievances with my husband, but I was ready to tell somebody to just get it off of my chest. And so I went to an Al-Anon meeting and that's not for everybody, but there are other avenues. There's support groups online. You could reach out to me, who's a recovery coach or somebody like me. Um, you can tell uh, somebody that you, you trust, you know, I had one best friend that I told everything to, cause I knew no matter what, she would love me unconditionally. Not that I thought my parents wouldn't, but I thought that they would perhaps have a different opinion of my husband. And I didn't want that. Um, so finding just that one person to tell or share it with, and then finding somebody who's been through it, who's done the work, who who's going to take you to the next level, who can walk you through the fire and say like, there is so much hope on the other side of all of this. Mm -hmm. I think those are amazing, amazing tips. Super mm -hmm. helpful. Um, out of my own curiosity, I just, I, I guess I'm looking at things obviously as from your perspective, but um, from your husband's perspective, how does he feel about the publicity? I can only imagine my husband being so shy and so like, oh, wait a minute, we're talking about all this stuff, but um, I'm assuming he's supportive, but how does he... You know. he's very supportive so my husband has been sober for um over six years and I think part of his program and working his program is that he uh is very he, he likes to stay in his lane and so he knows that this is my lane and although he's super shy and probably wouldn't share this much information um freely mm -hmm. He is happy to support me because he knows that it's helping somebody else. And when, when he got asked at my book launch party, like, what do you think about, you know, yeah. writing one, basically your life? And he said, well, if it helps one person, it's worth it. I love that. I think that's so good. I think that makes, um, absolutely it makes it worthwhile regardless, but I think it's so wonderful to hear that he is supportive and he acknowledges and that he's been six years alcohol-free, which is huge congratulations that's amazing yeah huge congratulations it's I mean it's so it life is so much easier when you're not dealing with active addiction but life is so much um there's so much change that continues to happen regardless of whether there's addiction present or not um and I'm just super grateful that he's chosen a better life for himself and I've chosen a better life for myself and all of this, which felt really tough in the moment, which felt really disgusting and really yucky and really like, oh, I wish this wasn't my life. I can I can look back and see so much gratitude because I think that so much growth has happened because of it. We were forced into it. And I think our relationship is 10 times stronger now than it would have been had none of this happened. So amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. The twists and turns that we take on life throughout life. So yeah. I love it. it's been so helpful to hear your story and to hear bits Thank and pieces. Um, I always like to wrap up my podcast by asking, what does it mean to venture a life that you love? For me, that means being honest with yourself and acknowledging that you are the most important person in your life. So do more of the things that bring you joy find that happiness, get selfish, do the things that you love. 
Beautiful, beautiful. Absolutely. Definitely get selfish. I love that one. Um, and so for everyone listening who is drawn to you, would like to learn from you, connect with you, work with you, how can they find you? You can find me on my Instagram at Jamie D. Francis. Um, you can find me on my website at jamiefrancis.ca. And you can listen to my podcast. It's called Proof It's Possible. You can buy my book on Amazon. It's called Looking for Proof, Memoir of an Addict's Wife. So those are all the ways. And if you want to send me a DM um, to chat mo more about any of my businesses or have personal questions for me or you're battling something that I talked about or something resonated, please feel free. I love connecting with people. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been so fun. Thanks for tuning into the Venture Love Podcast. If you love this episode as much as I did, make sure to rate and subscribe so you never miss a future episode. And if you want to continue the conversation and share your biggest takeaways, I would love to hear from you. Yes, you. Head on over to my Instagram at violet underscore ventures to share your favorite part, grab a freebie, learn about my latest offerings, or check out my latest blog. I can't wait to connect and hear from you. This is Violet, and I'll see you next time on the Venture Love Podcast.